Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning. Morning, LBCF. How's everyone doing? Good. Four people are doing okay. <laughs> Morning, my name's Ryan. Um, yes, I got a haircut. It was on after the accident, so let me just quickly explain. I was just trimming up the sides, and I've done it so much over the last year and a half, I forgot to put the guard on the trimmer, and I'm just doing something, and, zzz, and then I'm like, I'm getting a new haircut. So, um, so we're going with this right now. My wife approves of it, so I don't care what anyone else thinks. Um, I'm the teaching pastor here, and if you're new here, welcome. I'm on a team of three pastors, um, and man, it's so great to be able to sit in the Psalms with you all. Um, this is a series that has been on my heart for a while. If you're new here, you may have also already seen quite a few teachers. Um, we have an awesome teaching team here, and there's such a variety of experiences, convictions, passions, um, expertise, um, and we're, we're so blessed to be able to have that variety. It's, it's, in that, it's in that variety that this mystery of how God's word can show up in such a different way for Rob or Barb or Danny or myself that we bring that to the table and we open scripture up as a conversation with each other that the scripture would have been originally been presented in and translated in community, and it's because the way that the Holy Spirit has worked through you and the way that these things that we read and recite and talk about all the time come to new life in you differently than they come to me. And that's one of the ways that we see this beautiful mystery of how alive God's word can be in each of us. And last week, Pastor Barb, who is not only a beautiful and vibrant member of our teaching team, she's also the pastor of Soul Care and Family, and she's upstairs with the middle school right now teaching them about communion, which is awesome. She taught on Psalm 120, and we watched the intro video from the Bible Project, which taught us the how to read the Psalms, that the genre of Psalms being poetry actually informs us of how we are meant to read that. And um, it provides us with beautiful words for seasons of our lives that may be marked with doubt or loss or fear or anger or possibly with joy and confidence, peace, wisdom. And so for the next 10 weeks, we are focusing on Psalms 120 through one. 34, they're called the Psalms of Ascent. And I have a picture here, and I want to pull it up. Um, so the Psalms of Ascent are a collection titled with Ascent, and, it's, and the traditional understanding is that each psalm would have been sung during one of the major festivals as they ascended the steps to the temple. So with each step, they would have sung a new psalm as a community. So when we look at it, there was a physical ascent up the steps that we see to the temple, and it was also a representation of an ascent as they got closer to this place of worship, God's presence. There was a spiritual, physical ascent as they moved up. 
And so we would see this, and one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this collection is it shows us what the community of God in exile would have sung to prepare their hearts for the presence of God. What are the things that they needed to say? How do we hold that? How do we repeat those things? How do we make this a regular part of our preparation for worship? And so this regular repeated communal preparation into God's presence. And today we will look at Psalm 121. So if you have your Bible, you can open it now. I encourage you that as we go through this, there is some really great life that is found in a variety of translations. So whatever one you um, are most, uh, is, is most, um, s- speaks to you the most, you can open that. And I'm going to read this two times. And the first time, I want everybody to just close your eyes. I want you to just absorb the beautiful words here. Enjoy having a psalm read over you. The second time, I want you to hone in on which part might be most specifically for you. So I will read this twice. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not stumble. He will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth forevermore. I'm going to read this again. I want you to focus in on which phrase really pops out for you. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord, and amen. So for those of you that know me, know that um, in three Days from right now is the first day of fall. I love fall more than I love most people. Um, I love fall so much. I grew up in the mountains where I know that tomorrow there will be a kid that wakes up to frost-tipped grass. We don't have that too often here, but maybe if you're up early enough. I'm not up early enough anymore, but there was a time where I would go to high school and you could see your breath. And it would start around late September. 
and the, the lingering smell of the chimney smoke and everything turning orange, the trees, decorations. People would be preparing giant pots of apple cider in their houses and the smells were everywhere. The trees were changing. I would walk my puppies around this lake that there was quaking aspens and the colors were just green, yellow, and red all over the place. I love the fall so much and it's created this, it's imprinted me in this way that is so beautiful, but there's a longing that I have to experience that, that every year there's a longing that I don't get to actually touch it. I, I, it's, it's, it's in me, but it's also far from me. It's so in me that I can start to sense my emotional world landscape start, start changing right now, even though there's nothing surrounding me. Orange County is 83 degrees forever, and, and it's just this, and the only thing that I'm like, I guess they're serving pumpkin spice lattes, so the fall must be here. Um, that's the only hint that I have. And so what I have to do is I have to find these embers that are within me, these active embers, and I have to blow on them. And I have to do things like I texted Vanessa and I said, can you buy one of those cinnamon brooms from Trader Joe's? <laughs> and she brings it home. I love them. I put them in my room. I would, sl- I would sleep with it if I could. That smell is so familiar to me. So I do that. I drink warm teas that smell like fall. I put on that moodier fall music. I look at pictures. I think of memories, but I find these old memories of something that's within me but feels distant. I find those embers and I blow on them. And I want it to warm up because it's so rich for me. And that longing that we see is something that I sense happening in Psalm 121 also. They're blowing on these embers of something that was true. And they're saying the words that they know are true, that feel distant. But it's important that we remind ourselves of these things. And in Psalm 121, the pilgrims singing as they moved into God's presence, one of the key things that we have to remember as we prepare our hearts is remembering and speaking. The Bible calls God's people over and over again, remember because we have a tendency to forget. If I don't have Vanessa bring me home a cinnamon broom, <laughs> I might forget that the fall is, an, is a thing, that it actually happens somewhere. If I didn't have those experiences to draw on, it might get a little more further away. And when we think about the people singing these as they ascended the steps to the temple, They're reminding themselves of a God who is present, who's caring, who's never sleeping. Because when you're in exile, it feels far away. But but this is not a psalm of lament. There are plenty of those, and it's obvious. They knew that this psalm would be a psalm of confidence. Last week's psalm was a cry of, of distress, This is a psalm of confidence. From where does our help come from? From the Lord who stands over everything. But what about all those mistakes that I've made? He won't let your foot slip too far. 
But what about when my struggles just seem to be continual and frustratingly just persistent? He won't get tired. But what about when I get tired? He'll be your shade and guard you. But what about those dark things that keep me up at night and my anxiety and my frustrations and my questions? He'll keep you from all that evil too. But how far does this go? Everywhere. But for how long? Forever. And that's who has us. Forever and everywhere. And notice how there isn't a single mention here of our behavior or our faithfulness or our faithlessness or how much we've sabotaged ourselves or your habits. Not a single mention about us, only that God is tireless watching over us. And don't hear me say something I'm not, because coming into transformation to look like Christ and to live a full life where we embrace shalom is, is a good thing, and it is important, and there's plenty of scripture that talks about that, of course. Um, it's just not what saves us. It's not what will save you. God's unearned and undeserved decision to guard, guide, and love has always been poured out on his creation at his own expense. And quickly, I want to talk about this idea of slumber or sleep. In the Bible, you'll see all over that their present-day reality was filled of wondering which God of the many was the one true. They talked about that all the time. There's many gods, but which one is the one true God? If you read Exodus, you'll see that, there are, that that is one great example of the one true God showing his power over the weaker, smaller right? It talks about that all the time. And so I want to turn to 1 Kings 18, because this is a really great story that provides us some context for how the people would have originally been translating this psalm about slumber and sleeping. Um, This is a story of the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel, and you may have heard this before. This is 1 Kings 18. Um, It says, then they, the pagan prophets, called on the name of Baal, from morning till noon, Baal, answer us. They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. We have these stories of gods being called on, but they're sleeping. They're nowhere to be found. They have other things. They have more important things to tend to. And I love the sarcastic tone here. Elijah sounds like a guy I would have probably hung out with. Um, But if you're not familiar with this, 
Following that, what he did was he took stones, built his altar, put the wood on the altar, put the sacrifice on it, and then just dumped water on it. Just dumped it because what he wanted to show is that um, when he called on God and the entire thing was fried, it said that it was destroyed. That when God, that nothing Elijah could have done to sabotage God showing up and being watchful worked. Nothing Elijah did could sabotage God away from being responsive. Because that's God's to control. And he's made a promise to us. And so it's like the ultimate holy flex of God just saying, do whatever you want. <laughs> like, you could pour water on this. You could cover it in ice. I don't care. I can still be responsive and show up. And what we see here in Psalm 121 is that there's not a mention of our behavior because nothing we could do, no amount of water we could pour on that altar could prevent God from doing what he does. Psalm is a reminder of how God shows up and doesn't sleep on us. One of the understandings of the hills where it says, I raise my eyes to the hills. The hills were places where pagan gods would have been worshipped. They would have built altars on those hills. So one of the ways that some people have understood this is that when he looks up to the hills and he sees all of the variety of ways that people are trying to save themselves. He looks up to the hills and he says, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the creator of all of this. The creator of all of these hills, of these rocks, of all of these things that we try to do to prop up and save ourselves. Our help doesn't come from the hills in that way comes from the Lord. It also doesn't take much to see the parallel of what happened with Jesus in the garden. His closest friends fell asleep on him. And that's our habit. That's what we do. In his darkest hour, we see Matthew 26. Jesus asked, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Our God, the maker of heaven and earth, stays up gives us shade, guides our feet, and keeps us from harm. When I was a kid, um, quick little story, I used to go fishing in those same lakes that I just said that I loved that would be covered with trees. My, my dad would take me in his eternal patience um, because what would happen inevitably, my line would get caught, I would get really frustrated, so I'd yank it, and it would get stuck. And what would happen is he would, he would take my pole, hand me his pole. I'd go get his line stuck somewhere else. And so I, I was just wrecking his day left and right. And I, I have so many experiences of where he would just look at me and just laugh. <laughs> he would just laugh. He's like, no matter how many times he's shown me how to gently move to the other side to pull it out, no matter how many times he showed me how to not tangle my line as I was casting no matter how many times he walked me through this process, my frustration and my desire to not have this happen again, I would yank it and it would get stuck. And it, he, was, he would just tell me over and over again, that's not how you do it. That's not how it works. 
And so this psalm is both a call to remember the reasons for our confidence, blowing on those embers of that history of the ways that God has shown up in us, but it's also a gentle leaning in saying, all those ways you're saving yourself, that's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. You're just getting your lines stuck. You're just doing that same thing over and over again. Do we, do we really think a politician will solve our problems? Pick your side, I don't care. It won't. How obvious is it that hoping for some sort of political savior is empty? That extra zero on your paycheck. The iPhone 13, that weekend off, overcoming that one habit, unlocking the puzzle to having some picture-perfect family, more influence, more time, more or less of whatever. It's not going to save you. When you call on it in your darkest moments, it will be a God-found sleeping. It'll, it'll be found sleeping on you. I've had, there are too many examples that we have now of people who have achieved, pick your category of the things that people think save them. Pick your category and find the person that you think has achieved that one thing. And you can find plenty of examples of a person whose life was tortured who had nailed that thing that you think will save you. And it's sad. I grew up in, in church saying the things that this psalm tells us, okay? And I thought that I really believed them. I mean, we had full-on songs with body motions. If anybody wants to come up here and challenge me to a Father Abraham or a <laughs> I am a C, I am a CH, okay? I went to all the church camps. My parents raised me in church. I went to every single thing that it happened. So I learned to say the right things, and I thought the people that I went to church with really believed them too. And I started to notice this pattern when trouble or pain started to come up. A phrase that I heard repeated quite often was this, I've done all I can do, now all I can do is... Mm, other people have heard that too. Okay. I've done all I can do, now all I can do is pray. There were other instances where it was kind of like this. Pray hard and keep praying, keep praying, but if it gets really bad, call an ambulance. Like, it was somewhere in the middle, I was like, okay, clearly what I'm seeing here is that this is about us doing everything we can, and our last-ditch efforts were to bring prayer in. I saw the words of prayer becoming a habit while the way people lived, the way that I lived, made it clear that the last thing anybody wanted to do was trust God. It's the last thing anybody wanted to do. And it was because we had been sold snake oil, saying that what God will do is transport you into this place of, a, of perpetual comfort and release people from the pain of this Life And the sad reality is that when you tell people that and you, and you sell people this idea that God's presence means that they'll be pulled out of whatever problems are present, leaves people to wonder, is God sleeping on me? So we have to give more room as to what the incarnation of Jesus teaches us. That the temple that the pilgrims were walking up to, that Jesus ripped that 
divide and takes up residence inside, inside each of us, inside you. He moved into our neighborhood. He feels our pain. He gives us a reminder of how connected to this earthly bodily experience we have by incarnating himself into a human form and says, take my body, take my blood, take me in so that I'm a part of you and that you are a part of me. If Jesus is the exact mold of shalom, of connectedness, of the ideal human experience, and he was not rescued or exempt from pain, from abandonment, from betrayal, exhaustion, hunger, then what the psalmist is doing here cannot be understood as some promise for, as, as a promise for some baptized uh, anesthesia, right? This isn't just to take some of this pain away. It's not a holy Iron Man suit <laughs> or a superpower. I wish it was. I really do, because I'll be honest, in the last year, it's been hard to feel like I can genuinely say the words that the Lord has been alert and we've taken the, all of the pain of evil away. From the loss of people that I'm close to, to what's happening nationally, to checking my kids into the ER, there are times where I forget things that we can't forget when we read this. This psalm is not about guaranteed comfort or escape. And yet, it is a psalm of confidence. It is, it's a psalm of confidence, but it is not a psalm about comfort. Not in the typical way that we understand comfort. Because I think that it is about comfort, but not in the you will never feel pain kind of way. The help, the rescue, the watching over, all of what we read in Psalm 121 has to square with the ways that we see Jesus offer this. And that is that even in the face of great trials, the world cannot take away what is truly valuable. There's a way to live so compelled and convinced by this kingdom that no amount of discomfort or pain could control you. We can live in a way so eternally anchored that in the midst of chaos, God provides this peace that makes no sense. The great spiritual mentors in my life never seem blissfully unaware of what's happening in the world, and they also don't seem like they have some sort of hidden trick. They just seem like they're more deeply anchored into something that I'm trying to get deeply anchored into. The great spiritual mentors of my life are very aware of the pain in their life, in the world. Sometimes they're actually closer to it than I am. But they are more deeply anchored. And that's the promise, that as we are more deeply anchored, the evil of the world gets stripped of its power. That when we are more deeply anchored, the evil of this world gets stripped of its power. The house built on, a, on the rock still endured the storm. The picture of the Christian is one of a tree that is deeply rooted next to the streams of living water. And the reason that a tree needs deep roots is so that it can withstand the storm. Because the storms will come. And even though I don't understand it, I believe that the miraculous reality that 
God can and has and continues to do these miracles where he does pull people out and he does wipe away cancer and he does heal people, that still happens, absolutely. I know it happens. I've seen it. But maybe one of the keys in in reading this in community is that if it's hard for you to say those words, if it's hard for you to repeat this psalm of confidence, maybe today is your day to lean on the person standing next to you. Because maybe it's in community that God will provide you that comfort so that you don't have to you don't have to make anything up. That maybe it's a strain for you to say, my help comes from the Lord, the one who makes heaven and earth. He will neither slumber nor sleep. He will guard me from all evil. Maybe it's really hard for you to say those words, and maybe today what we do is we lean on each other because maybe the person to your right or your left can say them more easily. Maybe it's our job to hold each other when you feel strong. When you feel strong rather than hoarding your strength, maybe it's time to... Provide that strength for the one next to you who needs it desperately. Maybe that's why we need to interpret these texts in community. My room was full of cinnamon brooms and pumpkin candles and yummy smelling baked things and apple cider tea, moody music and colder mornings because I need to remember. I need to be able to blow on those embers and be like, how does this feel? What was this like when we talk about the ways God has shown up and saved us and been present for us? Talk about these things. Tonight, as we have our pot, I'll share a story of the way that God has been present and saved you. If it's not happening now, blow on the ember of where you have had that happen. Remind yourself, remember, we are called to remember over and over again because our tendency is to forget. And the way that we do that is we repeat words like, he's the maker of everything. He's holding me. He's watching me. He's staying awake. He's providing shade. He's protecting me. He's with me. We can have our confidence in that God who is never ambivalent, never too busy, never distant, never detached, never sleeping. That's why it says that before we pray anything, God already knows it. Because he's that present. He's watching. He sees what's happening. And not only that, he's made his temple within you. He's feeling what you're feeling. He's grieving what you are grieving, celebrating with what you are that present, that close. And that God who loves you that persistently wants good for you. Now, I'm going to read this text one more time. And as I do that, I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm going to ask Gabby to come up. And as we close, um, if you need prayer, Gabby will be here to pray with you. If you want to take communion, We'll have it over here. We've got two trays of these self-serve communion. One of the things that we talked about is how present he wants to be, even with our very bodies. And one of the ways we do that is remembering the sacrifice he made, 
this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Feel free to come and take communion um, at your own pace. So now I want to open this text one last time. Read it over you. So if you'd close your eyes, maybe today you've sensed this and this is very real for you and it's easy to say these words. Or maybe today this feels like a season that feels distant in your heart. And maybe what you need to do today is just blow on those embers to, to do whatever it is to bring that season back to remember. So this is Psalm 121. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Amen. Let's worship now.